It is painful to know that we are operated upon by objects whose impressions are as variable as they are indefinable, and that what yesterday affected us strongly is today but imperfectly felt, and tomorrow perhaps shall be disregarded. When at length this unwelcome truth is received into the mind, we at first reject with disgust every appearance of good. We disdain to partake of a happiness which we cannot always command, and we not unfrequently sink into a temporary despair. Wisdom or accident at length recall us from our error and offer to us that we should instead embrace the void. virtue to exist anywhere. I want everyone corrupt. Leaves from the vine falling so slow. Sometimes, Master, it is difficult for meatbags to step back and gain some perspective on death and its importance in their insignificant lives. I don't know if I'm up for this. I'm so emotional. I can barely think straight. Great. Use that. Embrace the void. Warning. This podcast contains foul language, dark invocations, and treating women like their people. Welcome, friends, to episode 194 of Embrace the Void, where we just can't help ourselves. I am your host, Aaron, and this week we're discussing a favorite topic from a new angle. So, let's get sciency. Life ends in death, which we, as a species, are cursed with knowing, resulting in... something. My guest this week is Corey Clark, a visiting scholar in social psychology at University of Pennsylvania, and co-host of the Cyphalopod cast, which <laughs> is a great name for a podcast, I think. Um, Corey, Thank would you, you like to say hi to the void? Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm glad you appreciate the podcast because I, I suspect only about 10% of people get it. <laughs> I'm 100% within that 10%. I am good, all, good. all on board with that particular title. I thought it was so clever when I thought of it. And then people are like, Cyphalopod? I'm like, no. <laughs> No, I mean, this is a show where, like, cephalopod references will get you a long way. Any sort of <laughs> tentacle-based humor is highly preferred Good. within our cult, so um, you're, <laughs> you're on the right page on that one. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on. I really love uh, the papers that you've done, the work you've done on a topic that is near and dear to my heart, free will, and so I'm excited to talk about the sort of empirical side of that a little bit. Before we get into your work, do you want to tell folks a little bit about like your background, what your academic so uh, interests are, sort of broadly speaking? Sure. I got my PhD from University of California, Irvine in social psychology. Um, but I do have a little bit of a philosophy background. I think I minored in philosophy uh, as a, not, I don't think I did, I did, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. as an undergrad. And I guess that interest just kind of bled into some of my psychology work because I study topics related to some issues that philosophers care about, including free will. I kind of consider myself a moral and political psychologist and 
those research areas overlap in some of my papers, but they're also a little bit separate. And I have a lot of work on political bias and looking at how liberals and conservatives evaluate information in different ways, depending on whether it confirms their their political um, beliefs and desires and supports their political in-group. And then in the moral psychology side, I look at free will and, and punishment and how people might use free will beliefs in order to sort of justify their desires to punish other people. So my empirical work on free will doesn't look at free will per se, but it looks at people's belief in free will and how they use that term. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's all stuff that I'm definitely into because I do think there is an interesting aspect of our political discourse that is tied to this issue of free will or belief in free will, and that it does have these kind of, you know, whatever you actually end up thinking about the actual philosophical concept, it does seem like the beliefs are connected in these kinds of ways. Um, so let's let's talk about these papers. You've done several papers on free will. I think we'll talk primarily about the one about what's called political. You call it political differences in free will belief are driven by differences in moralization. And and your thesis, as I understand it, is that belief in free will is significantly motivated by a desire to hold the individual morally responsible. Is that in sort of an accurate characterization of your hypothesis? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that paper is really a follow-up to a paper that it was actually what I did my dissertation on, where we found that when you kind of put people in a in a punitive mindset where they wanted to punish a person for doing something morally wrong or something harmful, they would report stronger beliefs in free will. Um, and in that political differences paper, what we did was there there's a lot of research that finds that conservatives believe more in free will than liberals. Um, mm-hmm. And we were the idea was kind of like well and also conservatives tend to be a little bit more punitive than liberals Mm -hmm. so the idea was well maybe one of the reasons conservatives believe more in free will if free will beliefs are partially driven by desires to to hold other people morally responsible and punish them and conservatives are more punitive maybe that's one reason they have these stronger beliefs in free will but then what we ended up finding through that project was that both liberals and conservatives do that. They both increase their beliefs in free will when they want to punish people. Mm-hmm. They just do them for different things because they want to punish people for different things and blame people for different things. But still, conservatives do believe more in free will on a whole. Mm-hmm. And and we say this could be because they have a, a sort of a stronger tendency to moralize and they, t- they just tend to view more things as morally relevant than liberals do. Yeah, I'm, I'm very biased towards this hypothesis, which means that I have to like <laughs> put the brakes on and make sure that I'm not just like totally accepting everything you say Bring here. Bring on the but, skepticism. <laughs> I, no, no, I mean, I, I, like I am like, I, I want everything you're saying to be true, which makes me very nervous. Um, so <laughs> let's, let's, just, let's sort of, you know, from the beginning here, right? I know you're talking primarily about people's belief about free will. Do you at all sort of wrestle with the question of what we mean by free will in this context? And... Um, you know, like, what evidence do you use to justify claims that someone believes in free will or not? Is it just like self-reporting? Yeah, so it's mostly self-reporting on various free will measures. So there are quite a few of them, uh, published scales of what people believe, uh, of like questions related to what people think free will beliefs might be. And a lot of them are just straightforward questions like, I believe in free will. We have a couple other kinds of measures in at least two of my papers. I've looked at people's evaluations of science 
that have significance for free will. So how do people evaluate scientific arguments that argue against free will? Um, but again, that's still sort of just the folk conception, whatever people think you mean when you say free will. And then I have another paper where we basically found that, and this is this is my belief now, is that everyday people don't really have a coherent conception of free will. They don't really know what it is. And I think they probably think it's a lot of different things and they use mm -hmm. those differences interchangeably depending on the situation. Um, and in that paper, we found that people are flexible with their definition of free will also when they want to punish people. So they're more accepting of compatibilist definitions of free will when they want to punish someone. Mm. And a whole bunch of other completely preposterous beliefs. <laughs> like people, <laughs> people just don't. So, so, so it's kind of interesting because people believe in free will and they say they believe in free will. And it seems to be a, a pretty strong belief that a lot of people have. But I don't think they really know what they mean when they say they believe in free will. And I think for a lot of people, it's really just mm -hmm. that which makes someone responsible, right? Right. So it's almost like saying that person is responsible for the thing that they did. And that's all it is to them. It's not really thinking about like what constraints were there, what contributed to that person's behavior. Did their genes make them do it? That sort of thing. Um, yeah. You know, I think complicated. This is, <laughs> right. No, I think this is really fascinating. And it's, you know, I'm, I come at this from an ethics background and primarily an interest in moral luck, this idea, mm -hmm. so which like as a problem centers around this claim, Nagel calls it the control condition, right? Which is you can only be held morally responsible for things that are under your control. And he says, this is a very widely held belief. And it seems like one thing that your data seems to put forward is that yes, that is a widely held intuition. And it's so widely held that people very closely attach whatever they mean by free will to this idea of moral responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I mean, it, that, that adds more complication too, because like, what, do, mm -hmm. what does it mean to control something? <laughs> like, right. What do people mean when you say control? But I think that's, that is more or less right. And, and I actually just, it's not even published yet. I just posted a, a chapter that'll be coming out, I think next year. Um, where I forward the Don Corleone principle. <laughs> and it's basically an explanation for this tendency because a finding that's been replicated dozens of times in the literature is that people attribute more responsibility to people when they do something bad than something good or something neutral, even if they're very similar mm -hmm. um, behaviors or they're just, you know, the side effect of the behavior, you know, side effect effect, um, those kind of findings. Mm -hmm. um, and I suggest that one reason people have a tendency to do that, to see people as more in control, more responsible, more causally, uh, more, I guess, causally contributing. <laughs> I don't know how mm. I would say that. Um, the reason they do that in these cases of harm compared to more neutral behaviors or helpful behaviors is because it would be more costly to not blame and punish people when they cause harm um, mm. if they could be deterred by that that blame than, than mm -hmm. making the mistake in the opposite way. So we might have a tendency to kind of have a slight bias toward wanting people to be responsible when they do something bad, because it's really important that we deter that person from doing uh -huh. the thing again. It's important we deter other people who are observing the interaction. Um, and so we just have like this little bias toward thinking people are responsible when they mm -hmm. do bad things. And that's what all this literature is showing. That's what all these little studies are picking up is these tendencies, this little blame bias that people have. Right. Um, 
And I think the free will belief effect is this, just the same kind of thing. It's just another construct um, measuring responsibility or control or whatever. That, that asymmetry between harm and good is very interesting there because I think you see in philosophical ethics literature a similar asymmetry where people will intuitively claim you know, it's more important to avoid causing harm than to do good, for example, right? Or we hold people mm-hmm. more morally responsible if they cause harm than if they do good. So I do think there is like a corresponding intuitive asymmetry. And it, it could be that, you know, that kind of evolutionary explanation might be the right way to understand um, what's going on there. Now, can we, I want to tie into this because, so, so actually, first of all, before we get into like, um, how we can trick people's brains about causal questions, right? I'm actually curious, do you believe that your own definition or understanding of free will is similarly that kind of confused cluster concept that you were just describing? <laughs> um, my own, I mean, I don't know that I have a definition of free So I'm kind of weird in that I... I'm sort of like annoyed by the compatibilists. <laughs> like I, I kind of view it as like cheating, <laughs> you know, Agreed. it's like preserving free will by changing the definition. And I'm like, if that's what we were talking about all these years, why are we debating the concept at all? It's not interesting anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, I don't like think that that's what free will is supposed to be in some sense. Um, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, so I'm, I, I sort of like the libertarian definition of free will and that would be the one that I would maybe if I were talking about the existence of it and I say free will doesn't exist, that's what I would be talking about. Um, and is that so where you I, land? Do you feel like you land yes. on free will? Doesn't exist? Okay. <laughs> that is where I land. I've written on this. I have, uh, I, I wrote a comment to Christian list, uh, with Greg Caruso and I kind of spelled out why I don't believe in free will. Um, the libertarian definition of free will. Interesting. Um, <laughs> because I feel like um, the reason I say interesting, and this is something I want to talk about more here, is that like I, I felt like last time we chatted, I don't know, maybe it was a couple of years ago, so maybe your views have changed some over the over this time. Um, was that you were skeptical about the idea that an individual could internalize the belief that they don't have free will? Is that something that you're still kind of skeptical of, or have you shifted on that some? Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Like, okay, when I say, when I say, I, I don't believe in free will. That's mm-hmm. like an intellectual position that I hold. It's not necessarily like my intuitive feeling about myself. Like, from whenever I, I think I probably didn't really think much about free will. And then there was probably a time where I was thinking about it, where I was, you know, I hadn't made up my mind. I didn't know if I believed in it. And now I'm like, well, it doesn't make any sense. I don't believe in it anymore. And like. Did anything about my self-perception change? I don't think so. Hmm. Um, so maybe, maybe the way I, I would view other people has changed a little bit. I'm, it's hard to say. Um, so yeah, I think you could intellectually not believe in free will. Do I think you can change the feeling of being like a self that is sort mm-hmm. of like a self-driven self? Um, that I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, but that feels like something slightly different to me. Like, for example, you could, you know, not believe in God, but potentially still find yourself praying in some really intense situation. And then what does that mean? Does that mean you believe in God or? Mm-hmm. 
I don't know, <laughs> you know, right. like you just have a people evolve to have like hyperactive agency detection and to be hopeful and to, you know, do whatever they can to try to get out of a bad situation. And if prayer is available, you know, um, mm-hmm. so, so yeah, you can, you could intellectually not believe, could you not feel it is a, is a different, and I, I did read your piece where you said you don't feel it, which I'm actually really interested in. I don't even know what that means almost. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, well, I'm very sympathetic, first of all, to what you're saying on the sort of I don't know side. And I think, you know, in that article, I did try to make clear that, like, I fully acknowledge the, like, obtuse, you know, like, opaqueness of my own internal world that, like, makes it difficult for me to know, you know, am I just mouthing words or am I, have I genuinely internalized this in some kind of way? Um and I guess, I guess I, I would say I don't remember what it feels like to believe in free will. And so, like, I'm not sure. Like, what I can say is I feel like my behavior has shifted as a result of that change in belief. Um, and that I do, I feel like I see myself and others very differently as a result of it. Um, so, like, all of the same, similar kinds of, like, evidence points that you would look for, you were just describing, I feel like I have as best I can, you know, a version of those. Um, But I don't know, like, I don't know if that's sufficient evidence. I don't know if like, there's really some part of me that is still like, for example, well, so like, here's, here's what I would say, for example, I don't feel a strong urge the way you are describing in your papers to assign the responsibility and free will to other people. I'm, I'm more and more convinced that the assigning of moral responsibility in the way that we understand it is bad and like should be like downsized rather than centralized more. Um, so I, I'm curious, do you feel like those things are any indicator or is it just like we're sort of all kind of fishing around here? I think it's helpful to, I think it's potentially helpful to think about it on a continuum um, mm-hmm. and even though and philosophers kind of like to say like either it exists or it doesn't exist, but because everyday people don't think like philosophers <laughs> for the most part, especially like not in their everyday life, um, mm-hmm. it seems that people probably think about free will more on a continuum and, and then there are individual differences where people would be, and I would say it's almost like they would believe more in a sense of responsibility. Um, some people mm-hmm. would feel that way more than others. And I think one of the reasons I got into studying this free will and this punishment stuff in the first place is because I think I'm like you and that I have like no desire to blame or punish. I'm like one of the mm-hmm. least vengeful people I know. Well, I mean, maybe I'm flattering myself. But I don't have like strong impulses to blame people. And I, I find myself feeling sorry for people who have done bad things. Um, mm-hmm. But I like, I understand that not everyone feels that way. And I understand also probably that even though to me, it feels like blaming people and, you know, punishing people and being like kind of, you know, punishing cruelty or cruelty. Um, even though that can feel like wrong to me, that potentially it's important for society and it, and it makes mm-hmm. people behave better and then it prevents people, other people from becoming victims. And so then, you know, reminding myself to have sympathy for those victims. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. uh, it's a, so, so it's like you're, you're kind of like justifying it in other ways, you know? So it's like, 
I, yeah. I don't want to punish people because I think people deserve to be punished. But maybe I think people should be punished because maybe society needs punishment. Um, so you kind of end up in the same place. So that's why I'm saying, like, I don't even know if my my attitude toward other people changed because I, I don't think I was ever very punitive. And I, and I just think, like, how we punish people is such a complicated process mm-hmm. that I, I don't know what I would recommend for society. Like, I don't know if I, if I think people shouldn't be that way. Okay, yeah, great. Kind of I really... Like, yeah. I don't know how much I answered your question. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's really interesting. And I do want to talk about the sort of noble lie solution and, mm. and like in a second but let, let's let's talk a little bit about um sort of the methods side of things a little bit more first mm. and then get your results on the table and then we can we can analyze okay. a little bit here some so one other thing that i noted as i was reading through sort of your methods you cite studies that suggest that people can effectively be tricked into like erroneously inferring causal responsibility um and i'm curious how does that work and what do you feel like it tells us about like mistaken attributions of causal responsibility, broadly speaking. Yeah, it's been a while since I've read those studies, but so I won't get the specifics exactly right, but I believe these are studies by Dan Wagner. Mm-hmm. And um, he finds that people sort of infer causality when something precedes another thing. So they have these studies where they would, I think they made people listen to something like an audio where they would put thoughts in people's head and then, mm-hmm. Um, they had like, I think a mouse and they could move it to an object on a screen or something. And the, there was like another experimenter and they actually moved the mouse to the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and in the conditions where they implanted the thoughts, mm-hmm. people thought that they were the ones that moved it, even though the, the Confederate moved it. Um, and the closer, I think it was the, the closer to the movement the thought happened, the more likely they were to take authorship of it. So if if the thought was like a minute before, they were less likely to do this. And, mm. you know, I, I, sh- I should see if anyone's tried to replicate these because these were probably pre-replication crisis studies, almost certainly. Uh-huh. Um, uh, but the idea is that people can, they, they, they believe that, if, if, if a thought precedes an action, they believe that that thought is causally linked to the action because it came first. But just mm-hmm. because something comes first, you know, obviously that doesn't mean necessarily right. mean that it, it caused it. Yeah, no, there's, this is just sort of like building your case, right, that are attributions of causality. And, and generally that most people, I think, correlate causal with free will, right, that our attributions, therefore, of free will are sort of similarly suspect in this kind of way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just like there are lots of studies that I think can kind of cast doubt on what feels like free will to us. Um, and that would just be one variety of them, you know, like any kind of unconscious influence, you know, that kind of feels like it undermines free will a little bit because you think a lot of your decisions, the things that you do are happening for a reason, but things just pop into your brain all the time and you have no idea why. Um mm-hmm. Right. And yeah, people just don't have very good introspective access. People don't really know what's causing their behavior. Um, and, you know, depending how you define free will, that all can kind of chip away at what seems to be like this really intentional, conscious agent directing itself somehow in the absence of all these external causes that it has no control over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and so this, especially this mistake, I think often when people are talking about free will, they mean both this kind of 
causal like causal specifically where the cause is internal to the agent and what your what those i think studies that you're pointing to if they replicate would show is sort of that like our definition of what's internal to the agent versus external or our perceptions about it are like deeply unreliable and that they they would and, and that like probably and you could then argue that they could be easily manipulated by the moral responsibility stuff that you're looking at right that like it's going to be easier for somebody to flop back and forth on whether someone has free will if their account of it is already fuzzy and they're being mm -hmm. driven by um, motivated reasoning in this kind of way yeah that's kind of a fundamental feature of a lot of these kinds of judgments where people have like kinds of biases is there has to be some sort of ambiguity there you know people can't be blatantly wrong but in cases where it's sort of unclear what's going on mm -hmm. that gives you wiggle room to make the judgment whatever direction is most convenient for you at that time so yeah and that with free will when they don't people don't even really know what it is anyway it's so difficult to interpret another person's behavior you never know what's going inside going on inside someone else's head um mm -hmm. or you know what all contributed to their behavior what their past was like so you know in those ambiguous cases you can make assumptions that the person had more responsibility whatever that means to people mm -hmm. um, and i and i've seen something similar um, this is in a paper led by Andy Von Ash, um, but we had a couple studies in there where we looked at this in the context of one's own behavior. Um, mm -hmm. And I ran a study where I had people write about a time they um, participated in some kind of like addictive behavior, or like resist, or gave into temptation or some kind of addictive behavior. Um, mm -hmm. And either the consequences turned out fine or they turned out harm, they, they were harmful. So like maybe they wrote about going gambling and in the neutral case, they broke even and it was okay. Whereas in the harmful case, they'd write about a time they lost their rent money and they, you know, their roommate was pissed at them or something. Right. Um, and people attributed less free will to themselves when they wrote about their own harmful behavior than like an, a similar behavior that had neutral consequences. So people can apply the same concept to themselves and downplay their responsibility in convenient ways so that they don't they don't get blamed by other people. Mm -hmm. Right, exactly. So there are several reasons here that I want your, your ideas to be true and borne out by further replication. <laughs> um, one of them is, it seems to me, and tell me, tell me if I'm, I'm inferring incorrectly here, right? It seems to me that if belief in free will is inconsistent in all the ways that you're describing, if it's led by motivated reasoning in all the ways that you're describing, and it seems to me the most consistent position, right, would be the no free will view, the one where you refuse to attribute free will to anybody and therefore avoid this bias problem entirely. Would you agree that that is at least, but setting aside for a second the noble lie question that we'll talk about, would you agree that that's sort of a more internally consistent position? You're asking, is it more internally consistent to attribute free will to nobody in general? Well, let's say, is, is it more likely to reduce the risk that you are acting inconsistently towards human beings because of motivated mm -hmm. reasoning about free will? Um, yeah, maybe, maybe, but I don't. I don't know how that works in practice necessarily. <laughs> so mm -hmm. like if you could, you could attribute no free will to anybody. And I guess I wouldn't because I don't believe in free will. Um, would I attribute something else to people? Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, 
would I still say people should be blamed and punished for certain things in whatever way is most effective? Um, you know, like let's do the least amount of harm in the, in the most effective way that stops this person from doing this to someone else in the future or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, I would say that. So then the ambiguity is applying to that judgment, right? It's like, mm-hmm. how much should they be punished? What kind of punishment should they receive? Um, so it like the blame itself, I'm not sure if that's what people care about if mm-hmm. or if they care about the punishment. And the punishment to me is a, a practical issue, like what mm-hmm. what deters bad behavior. Um, and, and also related to that, I, I tend not to argue against the concept of blame, even though you might say blame is sort of, de- it depends on free will. We don't have free will. We can't blame people. Mm-hmm. But blame alone is an effective deterrent. People don't like to be blamed. Um, so if you got rid of, and, and blame does so much without having to have official like state sanctioned government, a lot of what, a lot of behavior regulation and social life is just, you know, kind of morally judging each other. Like I don't say certain things on Twitter because I don't want to be morally judged. I'm not going to go to jail, but I don't want people to hate me. So that makes me more civil probably. Um, Mm -hmm. so, so, so even, even with blame, even if it's unjustified, Mm-hmm. because it doesn't make sense it might be justified because it works right so, yeah and i think I'm, I'm sympathetic i mean i'm definitely sympathetic to correcting human behavior through a variety of mechanisms right it's just unclear to me why we need the noble lie of free will to motivate that mm-hmm. system at all right it seems like we could just jettison punitive punishment as a concept retain, you know, rehabilitative and restorative kinds of justice that don't at all require, it seems like, a belief in the kind of libertarian moral responsibility that requires, you know, I'm literally just going to punish you because you deserve it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not, so I guess what I'd say is I don't see any need for continuing to, like, compel people to believe in that radical kind of autonomy. Um, but now there is one other argument that could be put forward there that I think you referenced in your paper, uh, which is some folks have, have presented some evidence, I think, or I, w- I would argue, I'm not sure how, how replicating that, that evidence is, but like at least some evidence that lack of belief in free will itself tends to motivate more immoral behavior. I'm curious what you think about that particular piece of the argument and that evidence. Yeah, I think there were at least two papers, Vaz and Schooler 2008, that showed something like reducing free will makes people more likely to cheat or something. I don't know. That one has not replicated. Then there was another one, Baumeister, who is my postdoc advisor and some of his colleagues. I don't remember the specifics of theirs, and I'm not sure if there have been many replication attempts of that one, Um, but I know Oliver I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Gensho, Genshow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, he just did a meta-analysis. Um, I'm not sure if it's published or not yet, but looking at whether free will belief manipulations influence uh, certain behaviors. And I think he found no, that they probably don't. So, so I will say, I have no idea if mm-hmm. impacting free will belief makes people engage in more unethical behavior. There are other studies that show the importance of responsibility though. So that's why like free will is so abstract and like Mm -hmm. 
you know, like, I don't even know what it means to people. And when people believe less in free will, I don't know what that does to them. Responsibility, um, there is work showing that giving people responsibility and people having responsibility or feeling responsible is good Mm -hmm. for them. Um, It makes them have a sense of purpose. Um, So I don't know if you need the noble eye in the free will sense, Mm -hmm. because like I would be happy to get rid of the concept of free will. I'd be happy to stop talking about it um, (laughs) at some point. (laughs) Um, um, But I don't know about responsibility and I don't know if we can, completely Mm -hmm. pull those two apart and and the same goes for blame like i don't know what your view is on punishment but if we just had punishment and we viewed it like it was something like you know it's not your fault you know your your genes and environment blah 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 made you do it no judgment you're not a bad person but we need to do x y and z to make sure you learn your lesson and there was no hint of Mm -hmm. um social judgment Mm -hmm. would that be as effective as what we have now which would be people are like oh that's a bad guy (laughs) you know right like the 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 social part of the punishment not put you in jail or take away certain freedoms the social part the the stigmatizing part that might be a really important piece um Mm -hmm. in terms of the punishment working because we're social creatures we care so much about our moral reputations that the threat of moral reputational damage makes people decent people in their daily life, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. And for all the things we don't want to punish that we might want, we might want to discourage, socially discourage, but we don't want to punish them. We don't think they're, um, we don't think the government should have control over people's behavior, but we would like to discourage certain bad behaviors um, like people having affairs or something. Like we don't want people doing that. We don't want you to go to jail for it, but generally not good. And we manage that by, you know, throwing them a little side eye for a few months afterward, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, you know, all that's really complicated. I, I don't know what the, the I, I would say I would be happy to get rid of free will. I don't think it's possible, probably. <laughs> I don't think uh-huh. you could convince people it doesn't exist. But if you could, then fine. And then we could think about what kinds of responsibility are important for people to have both for a sense of purpose and, you know, motivating people to do good things in their lives um, and also making sure that people feel responsible to other people and not harming other people in whatever way, whatever way you can accomplish that, that would be fine with me. (laughs) Yeah, well, it's interesting. Uh, It makes me actually think of like height. A lot of this stuff makes me think of height and and, uh, moral foundation stuff, um, Mm -hmm. especially because we'll, we'll talk about the political side of this in a second. Um, but like sort of what I feel like you're you're saying there a little bit is, you know, we want to keep people attached to moral foundations like loyalty to others and like to their, to their moral community and adherence to their moral community and, and respect for authority kind of foundations like that. Um, and that may be that like I think my perspective would be as we move people away from this belief in free will, we would want to really emphasize concern for harm, for example, like the causing of harm, sort of a more consequentialist almost kind of approach of saying, like, this is the thing that we really, that we, we can care about harm a great deal without needing to talk about those those other kinds of concerns. That Could that be something at least, I mean, plausibly that we, you could make a shift 
Um, obviously, there would be trade-offs, right? In all of these models, I think, um, you know, you're trading off between your sense of what's fair given the evidence and like what works, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm probably on that debate. I'm more of a Grayian. <laughs> I think all of the foundations are probably it's really difficult to separate them from harm. Um, mm. I but yeah, I would I would I would care about harm first and foremost. And when I say like thinking about your responsibility to other people, I mean your responsibility not to cause harm. Um, your responsibility to mm -hmm. not live your life in a way that causes pain and suffering an annoyance maybe a little bit to other people um and i think the way we the way we regulate that is with moral judgment a lot of it not not all of it mm -hmm. uh, is with moral judgment and so that's why i don't know what we do like do you, mm -hmm. do you have a solution to this problem i'm kind of i've had this no, conversation with greg no. caruso before because he's like you know he's against I think he's basically against moral judgment altogether, but I'm like, well, how do you deter the things that you don't want to be illegal, but you don't want people going around doing them, you know, like, like you don't want your neighbor blasting their music at four in the morning. You don't want them to be arrested. Mm -hmm. um, right. What do you do? What you do is you want to go over there and be mad at them and then tell them, don't do that to me ever again. <laughs> Yeah, I guess, I, first of all, having spent a lot of time living around New York City, I'm, I'm like pessimistic that anything <laughs> is going to fix the, the, the sound thing. So, but like, yeah, I mean, I, I, I do really like what you are saying in terms of, I, I will say, you know, I'm confident that free will doesn't exist. And I'm confident that moral truths do exist. And I recognize that there is a tension there that I do not have a perfect solution for in the realm of moral responsibility. You know, like I'm sympathetic to the needs to change people's behaviors. I also think that like every time you punish someone, you are effectively punishing an innocent person. And that's a moral cost that you are bearing when you choose to enact that punishment. And that that should have a like serious implication for what kind of punishing we actually do. But like, I have no, pro I mean, I'm not sure what Greg's exact view is. My view would be, I have no problem saying X person did something immoral, right? It's definitely immoral if you murder someone or something like that. But whether mm -hmm. you have moral responsibility in a way that's fundamentally different from somebody who has a tumor growing in their head that like caused them to kill that person, there I don't think there's really any difference because I think it's all luck all the way down. Um, mm -hmm. But like the difference comes in well, how do we fix your behavior, right? If it's the tumor situation, we remove the tumor. If it's the other situation, we try to figure out what caused you to murder that person and make sure you never do it again or something like that. Um, but I, I also, I, I mean, I- but What I, if what yeah. caused it is just their general personality? <laughs> yeah, and I don't think there's a solution for that problem. Like, I just yeah. think like, I, I don't think there's an account of free will that gives you a key that unlocks immoral behavior and turns it into moral behavior reliably. I think- I think rejecting the idea of free will, a belief in free will makes you better able, and this will, this will get us into the political conversation side actually, which is, you know, I think if you focus on individuals and say this person had free will, they did this thing and we should punish them, that actually pulls you away from recognizing the kinds of factors that are actually driving that kind of behavior. So this gets, so, so one of the asymmetries, this is the other reason I love your research is you find there's an asymmetry between how much conservatives and lefties let want to punish people that is tied to their ascriptions of free will. It seems to me, this is a situation where the left has the advantage as it were in terms of the argument, like it's good that the left 
has, you know, seriously challenged people's belief in free will and thereby, thereby sort of brought about some amount, right, depending on the country, criminal justice reform towards a less punitive um, kind of model. Do you do you agree with that kind of interpretation? Do you think that the left has an advantage on this issue in this way? Um, I don't necessarily know. And I, I think for this reason, I sort of avoid like saying what is good, you know, I try to say like what is true and not what is good. Um, but just because I think it's so complicated now, um, I think to your point about like by downplaying free will or highlighting other things that contribute to people's behavior, whether it's their genes or particular environments to the extent that we can change those, that's like a huge deal. And it's really important. Like we need to identify what causes crime and then, change those in whatever way we can in a way that's you know doesn't cause further harm mm-hmm. um and so i think that's really important um do do i think like getting rid of the concept altogether would reduce crime i'm not sure so and it's difficult because we think about these we think, you know, you tend to think about it in like the criminal justice system. Well, there we're talking about behaviors that are actually regulated by the state and not our day-to-day interactions. And mm-hmm. I think both of those are important. And I kind of have different intuitions about the two of them. Like I think in the criminal justice system, it really is this kind of like cold, rational, well, and no, I wouldn't say it's rational, mm-hmm. um, but we, but, you know, we, we try to pull the emotion out of it by having a third party do it. We don't allow the victim to directly retaliate on the, the person who um, wronged them um, because we assume they would do something too severe. You know, maybe they would kill the person. Um, so and we don't want that. So we let the state handle it and then it can be this more calm process. Um, but then in like mm-hmm. people's social interactions when it comes to like minor infractions you know like cutting someone in line at the grocery store like that's that's a very trivial offense and like Mm -hmm. the punishment should be very very small because it's a very small offense and the a small punishment would be like flipping the person off or something i don't know um so so i I guess what i'm saying is i sort of have different intuitions about what what like responsibility mindset you might want to have in different cases. Um, And with liberals and conservatives, I don't, I don't, I mean, I could say what's like more consistent with my personal beliefs, but in terms of like what is objectively better for the world, that's, Mm -hmm. that just seems really complicated to me. So I guess let me let me sort of narrow it, though. You sort of talked about, you know, the causes of crime there, for example. Right. Would you would you say it seems to me that the tough on crime um, and and resistance to the idea that like crime is a systemic problem caused by poverty and various sort of Mm -hmm. other factors, the resistance Mm -hmm. to that that you see in conservatism, especially in like the 80s Mm and 90s. Right. Seems to me very connected to a rejection of the kind of pervasiveness of luck that I think people like me who reject the idea of free will are, are, are sort of on board about. Um, do you think there is a connection there at least? Uh, you mean a connection between, sorry, do you mean maybe rephrase the question? Yeah, sorry, sorry. I mean like a connect. So, so I think what's going on is that conservatives 
want to see the world in a certain way, which includes seeing individuals as responsible for their actions. And so they downplay the role of luck in people's mm. lives significantly and heavily play up individual personal choice. Yeah, I think that's probably true. Um, you get, um, there are a number of like political issues that have like, I, you, mm -hmm. like for same sex marriage, like for homosexuality, like, I think the most likely explanation for thinking homosexuality or people people say that conservatives are more likely to believe that it's a choice, right? Right. Um, I think the most likely explanation for conservatives thinking that's more of a choice is because they find it icky or gross or wrong and mm -hmm. they want to punish it. And so they, mm -hmm. they say people are responsible for their sexual orientation. I think that is probably what's happening there. Um, probably you get something similar for like trans identity, um, mm -hmm. thinking people are more responsible and conservatives do have that more. Um, and so, yeah, I do think that some of their, some of their judgments are incorrect mm -hmm. and, and the, the like extreme focus on holding people responsible is maybe coming from, you know, wanting like almost like a desire for people to be responsible right. the um, war on drugs and liberals and example, liberals right? do less of that but then i'm like where like where on the spectrum is the right place to be you know mm -hmm. um because on the uh, on the extreme end the other direction i think that's probably a problem too um so i would be you know like for identifying the causes of everything <laughs> and disseminating that information i wouldn't want to like censor it from people I, I don't think it would cause big problems because I think people's sense of responsibility is so intuitive that you are not going to change it much with information and facts. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. um, and, it, and even if you could, they'd find another reason to justify their moral reaction to something anyway. Um, but I'd be curious to see yeah, about that actually. So I, I agree with you that 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 is part of the story. That that one of the reasons that they tend they tend to attribute like more responsibility than seems appropriate, um, and mm -hmm. and maybe resist certain information because it doesn't conform to their moral narrative. Yeah, that mm -hmm. that's definitely true. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious about the last sort of thing you said there. I think it'd be an interesting sort of testable claim whether prolonged, you know thought about not believing in free will, like prolonged sort of habituation towards this kind of belief, does it actually shift how frequently you cast moral aspersions or what kind of sort of humility you have towards your own behaviors or something like that? I mean, I do, I do feel like it has shifted how I treat people, but I would love, you know, like that could be biased. I'd be really curious to see sort of more aggregated data, maybe doing like the kind of the check-in kind of studies that they do where they're like, have you judged anybody recently, right? Are you thinking about judging somebody soon? Um, mm -hmm. You can do something like that and see if how people's approaches to their environment does um, shift. Yeah. Yeah, no, that would be, that would be really interesting. And I, if you could do that, you get kind of a long-term study. Those are, you know, notoriously difficult sure. <laughs> to run, but it would be interesting. Um, and it is completely possible that, that my, um, attitude toward other people and their infractions has changed, but I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and mm -hmm. it sounds like you think that yours, yours have, um, yeah. I mean, it's a good question. 
Um, and then do people become more politically liberal as a result? <laughs> right, exactly. Possible. Well, yeah, and there's another related issue here. So there's a kind of, I think there's a bit of an inconsistency. And I think the weak point is the belief in free will makes you, or, or rejecting belief in free will makes you act more morally. But here's the sort of, mm. it, it seems like it would have to be true, right? If it's the case that liberals believe less in free will than conservatives and that belief mm -hmm. in free will is tied to moral activity then you'd seem like you'd have to have some evidence that liberals act more unethically more often than conservatives mm -hmm. do right um i don't think we have any evidence I, I feel like i would be more familiar with it if we did have evidence of that kind <laughs> of uh thing um so yeah. i right it seems like there's got to be a weak point in that syllogism somewhere right yeah um yeah i don't i don't think that liberals or conservatives act more unethically than the other group on whole if you looked across the board of course you'd have to define what you mean by ethical but sure um but like there there, there are comparisons with like you know uh, contributions to public goods like donating money that kind of thing and liberals mm -hmm. and conservatives look pretty similar there um so yeah that that would suggest that believing less in well you know that's actually interesting because if you believe less in responsibility in general mm -hmm. i would think that should make you potentially be a little bit more of an asshat <laughs> right you, you would see liberals <laughs> i don't know right? Right. yeah you maybe you would uh so yeah that's actually that's actually interesting and i don't know i don't know what i would what i would make of that mm -hmm. I do think that there's likely a case that the differences in the ways that liberals and conservatives act out their moral beliefs is also tied to this. So like you were mentioning charity or something, right? I think there are some differences about like how these different groups engage with their communities, right? Like liberals, I think, lean more towards thinking, well, you know, I want to pay more taxes and like feed a system that produces better systemic outcomes rather than like I need to go volunteer in a specific situation and directly touch individuals or something, individual mm -hmm. lives or something like that. You could, if you found evidence of things like that, you could imagine that those are also potentially connected to how these different groups are sort of looking at. I do think, um, I do think conservatives are a little bit more conscientious, which could mean that conservatives are a little bit more hardworking, which would be um, potentially related to the idea of responsibility. Yeah, so it could be that their their behaviors are, if you looked on whole, they look similarly morally good, but in specific domains, you potentially could see little differences. Um, mm -hmm. and, and also there's a question of like, how do people's, you know, self-reported beliefs map onto like their internal feelings about things? Mm -hmm. Like would a liberal attribute more free will to a police officer who shot an unarmed person? Uh, yeah, probably. Mm -hmm. um, would they view them as more responsible? Yes, for sure. The conservatives would be like, well, they, it was an ambiguous situation. They had to protect themselves. Uh, it's a dangerous job, blah, 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 blah. Whereas liberals might say, no, the police officer is a bad person. Um, yeah. So well, it varies yeah. by. Um, no, go ahead. Yeah. It would, it, oh, oh, no, I was just going to say we, we had a couple of and this is why I say both liberals and conservatives do this. So whereas we see that conservatives moralize more behaviors in general, there are certain things that conservatives will say are morally wrong, that liberals will say not even a moral issue like um, mm -hmm. like 
like abortion, some conservatives would think that's one of the worst things a person could do. And some liberals would say, not even in the domain of morality, like we should even be talking about it. Hmm. Um, and there really aren't many reverse cases. There, there aren't things that liberals think are really morally wrong and conservatives say not even a moral issue. Um, and we tried to look for these and we couldn't find them. Like occasionally we would find things that liberals thought were more wrong than conservatives, but the, the differences were never big, whereas they're really big in the other direction. What about um, like an art? I mean, like the kind of cancel culture kind of stuff where like, you know, mm -hmm. liberals will say, you know, it's very wrong for you to not cast an actor who actually has the traits of the person they're portraying. Right. And a conservative might mm -hmm. say that's not that's even a, good... a moral issue at all. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good example. Um, I don't know. Like we, we, we tried to do some, like, um, like a person pulling their kid out of, mm -hmm. of a preschool class because the teacher was trans. Um, we like, like liberals do think that's more morally wrong, but conservatives think it's wrong too, you know, but maybe that one, the one you, you came up with, maybe that would, that would be an example. Um, mm -hmm. go, go but ahead. in terms of like mm -hmm. the big topics we talk about, um, you know, we, 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 we saw mm -hmm. that conservatives pretty much across the board, even when we were trying to find things that liberals think are more morally wrong, it's, it's, it's pretty challenging, um, to get the like liberal moralization uh, to appear. But when you do, yeah. for example, when you have a liberal or when you have a conservative do something bad to a liberal, liberals think that's more morally wrong. Um, and in those cases, they attribute more free will than conservatives do. Um, so they, they have this similar tendency to want to see people responsible when they want to punish people. But liberals might have a little bit less of that in their daily lives, you know, when they're evaluating other people. I've noticed that you're using liberal a lot and it makes me wonder, is there any concern here about like, are we talking about the left? Are we talking about moderate lefties? Are we talking about like, mm -hmm. is there a difference between the Marxists and the, you know, the liberals <laughs> on these kinds of questions? Um, and I'm, I'd be yeah. very curious to sort of see those subdivisions. I want to, I want to go back for a second to the like cop example, because I think this is actually very important for like policing quote unquote on my own side of things. Um, you know, I think, my sense is there is less of an inclination because of the prevalence of talk of like systemic issues on the left to be immediately jumping to like that cop is a bad person, you know, without any sort of inclination, you know, like willingness to like point to like they've been habituated that way because of white supremacy and such like that. Um, right. But I do think I think it's fair to say that there's a criticism to be raised about certain approaches, especially to like racial issues where you know the left will talk about systemic systemic problems a lot but the solutions the like diversity training kind of stuff tends to um be focused back in on individual behavior and individual responsibility in mm -hmm. a way that doesn't seem to correspond with their overall sort of stated understanding of causal you know what causes people's behavior um do you, do you sort of agree that like there is that kind of problem you mean that liberals will say that things are like they, they, they kind of attribute problems to bigger like systemic causes, but then they focus on changing individual behavior? Right. There's a kind of inconsistency, I think, sometimes. And this is I think, a criticism that Marxists have raised against the woke um, in particular, which is like your criticisms are of these 
massive systems but your solutions always come back to like you know we need to change the hearts and minds of these particular individuals mm -hmm. now of course obviously well, what can, you know, if it's not a lot of people <laughs> well, well i mean that's a complicated question i think right i think um there is a sense in which uh systems can take on a kind of life of their own where like no individual or even group of individuals really has a handle on like what's going on there nor are they like trying to reproduce it this is kind of like a fundamental like existentialist kind of problem is that like we're all caught up in these systems that again we think we have control over but like really they're the ones you know like the internet for example twitter or something like that right mm -hmm. twitter i feel like is more than yeah. the sum of individual behaviors um because everyone oh, hates it but yeah. no one will stop being <laughs> on it yeah, yeah. Twitter is a good example because, yeah, it's it's the the way it's structured. But it, it actually is that's that's one that actually is partly boils down to people. You know, like if the algorithm, if all it's trying to do is give people what they want to click on, what they're gonna click on, then um, what people click on is creating the system. Uh, so if you could actually get individuals like click on the puppy videos and the goat videos and the elephant videos <laughs> don't click on the nasty political hot takes then you get more elephants and less uh political hot takes them so yeah i mean you can change systems by changing a lot of people um but yeah there might be a tendency to to focus more on the person level that could just be like i don't know not cluelessness not knowing what else to do um because you know a lot of these are really challenging problems that don't have obvious solutions if they, if we if they did then we would have solved them by now um example though in the sense that like you know we can ask well why is the algorithm you know um weighted in such a way where it's trying to show people what they want right and the ultimate answer is going to be capitalism right it's going to be yep. the goal of the algorithm <laughs> money is optimize, right optimized towards <laughs> money right and so um, you know, and so then the question becomes, well, what's the best mechanism for changing that toxic relationship? Is it changing the behavior of the individuals or is it banning, you know, like in some way regulating the algorithm? And I, so to me, the systemic arguments are valuable because what they'll say is, look, you know, much like a drug addict, right? You don't solve drug addiction by like reprimanding someone and telling them have more willpower and don't do it again, right? You eliminate all of the sort of factors that make it um, you know, readily accessible for them to have these drugs and desirable in a way because of their current situation or something like that, right? And similarly, on the internet, right, you regulate it in such a way where it's not heavily feeding people's addictive behavior, it seems like. You know, that is, that is an approach that people, I think, who want to value, who like value the individual responsibility stuff we'll call that paternalistic right they'll say that that's mm -hmm. you know denying people their moral responsibility and denying people their free will in this kind of way um yeah. so yeah i think there's a fundamental tension there right that we're probably just going to continue to struggle with as a society yeah yeah that is interesting and um yeah it, it there is a tension there because it does feel on the one hand you're like well people should be free to choose to you know, unless they're hurting other people, do what, do what they want to do. But people do a lot of things that are bad for them and don't make them happy. Um, and then how much do you want to interfere with their natural tendencies and, yeah, difficult problems? <laughs>
to this because I think another point that's that's a little weird to me is more in free will and personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. I think we find tend to more heavily weight authority and deference to authority, which to me is sort of an abdication of free will and moral responsibility to some extent, right? And I think it's interesting both there that both that sort of tension is interesting and the fact that they like deference to authority, but they're strongly against deference to the current authorities that are existing in like, you know, the internet world or something like that. So yeah, I'm curious how you how you feel like you square those those different issues. Yeah, well, the the deference to authority issue. So liberals and conservatives like want to defer to different authorities. And there's an ongoing debate in like social psychology, whether conservatives really are more authoritarian than liberal liberals. And there's a paper that I don't know if it just came out or if it's coming out now that's looking at left wing author authoritarianism and how liberals in, in, engage in that. Um, so but but I do think in terms of certain kinds of traditional authorities that we think of, like police, for example, um, obviously conservatives have much more favorable attitudes towards them. Um, yeah, how does that square with the responsibility issue? I, I don't know. There are different theories about like, what do do conservatives or liberals think people are like fundamentally good or bad and like how much how much structure do they need in their lives to be productive citizens and, um, you know, libertarians who would be like completely hands off. Well, what would that look like? <laughs> like, what, what would the world look like if people really were free to do it? Like, how many people would dry, die of heroin overdoses every year? Um, so it's really just, I guess, about balancing what you perceive to be the likely trade-offs and and I just don't think anyone has the, the right answer to those questions. So it's, you know, that's why we're debating this forever. <laughs> so it's interesting that you bring up the issue that I have been, I've been following this as well about like Republic or conservatives and their sort of, are they more authoritarian than the left uh, or something like that? Now I'm curious how you if people have squared that at all, because my understanding from like Jonathan Haidt's moral foundation stuff was that you do find a asymmetry where conservatives sort of equally value all the moral foundations, including authority, whereas lefties tend to value the, the harm and fairness ones more than like authority and loyalty. So is there a, is there a conflict there between those findings? Do you think? So, I'm not entirely convinced by moral foundations theory um, mm -hmm. in general. Like the conservatives also score higher on uh, loyalty. Mm -hmm. purity, and yeah. when you look at, yeah, purity. So purity, that one I think is true. Conservatives are higher on that. And I think that's largely related to religion and the fact that conservatives mm -hmm. are more religious and care more about sexual, you know, sexual behavior, regulating sexual behavior. Uh, the loyalty one they score higher on, but when you look at in-group, in-group, out-group behavior between liberals and conservatives, it looks basically the same. So mm -hmm. I don't necessarily believe that conservatives care more about loyalty than liberals in their behavior anyway. They don't behave more loyal than liberals do. Mm -hmm. um, and then with the authority one, that one I, I, I would say is an unresolved issue. So for mm -hmm. decades... Um, 
there's the scale called right-wing authoritarianism, which is basically what people use to measure authoritarianism and have for a really long time. Um, and just in the past few years, scholars have started looking harder for, is there left-wing authoritarianism? And now there are a couple promising scales and they correlate just as strongly with liberalism as right-wing authoritarianism does with conservatism. They predict um, uh, willingness to participate in political violence among liberals, just like right-wing authoritarianism predicts it among conservatives. Um, so I would say we don't yet know, but um, it's possible that liberals and conservatives care more similarly about authority than we realize. They just have different ideas for like what those authorities should be accomplishing. Um, mm -hmm. Like with, with conservatives, a lot of it's like trying to uphold the system with liberals. It's like trying to overthrow the system, <laughs> uh, reverse mm -hmm. the hierarchy. Uh, so, um, so I would say that that's sort of like a, an, an unresolved issue. Maybe we'll, we'll know more in like a decade. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're getting close to the end here, but that sort of raises, I think a good final question. Are there any other like pressing open questions in this area that you're particularly curious to see some new info on in the next 10 years? Um, well, yeah, probably a lot. <laughs> I'm trying to think. <laughs> what if, I'm, I'm working on a bunch of different projects right now. Um, uh, actually, one of, one thing I'm working on, I'm, I'm running all these adversarial collaborations through this, uh, like, research center we're trying to get started at Penn, where we're trying to get disagreeing scholars to work together to resolve their differences. Hmm. Um, and one we're working on is this rigidity of the right idea. So it's the whole idea of like how similar are liberals and conservatives and their psychological tendencies, even though of course they, they're different in really big ways and certain like policy preferences um, and things like that. But how, how fundamentally different are they? Like how different is their psychology and their cognition? And do they think about the world in similar ways? Are they similarly biased? Um, mm -hmm. Are, is one of them, you know, better at thinking than the other group. Um, and we have a, a team of like five scholars together working on that. So maybe I will be the one to shed more light on this question. Um, uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it just kind of understanding a little bit more, like what really drives these differences. And I think about this with the conservatism and the moralization, like it looks to me like they, they moralize more, but then a lot of the the panics that we see on Twitter, for example, seem to be coming from the left. Is that because Twitter is liberal? <laughs> um, mm -hmm. You know, I don't know. So it's like, is this shifting over time? Like are liberals going to be moralizing more five years from now? Um, mm -hmm. I don't know. So yeah, it's tricky. It's, and it's hard to disentangle, like, what is fundamental to mm -hmm. left versus right versus what mm -hmm. is the result of the past 60 years of, you know, rigorous culture warring or something like that, <laughs> right? How much of how far have we moved people from sort of a baseline because of the prevalence of Fox News or something? Right, right. So. Right. Great. Uh, it's, it's lots of interesting stuff. And I'll be curious, maybe we can get you back on at some point uh, down the line to talk about further findings and uh, further implications for yeah, the culture updates, war and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, well, in the meantime, I unfortunately have to torture you. You've been very sweet, but um, <laughs> this is the enlightening round. Enlightenment comes from within. Enlightening round? 
the end lightning round. That's okay. right. Um, okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a list of things. Here's the rules, okay. and you're gonna tell me are these things real or not real. Those are your only choices. You don't get to define what the word real means. Uh, That is not how the game is played. Uh, Oh my God. Your options are real or not real. Do you understand? So if I say, well, that's an oversimplification. Nope. Those are not the words you get to say is exactly the way this works. Oh God. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like you understand. So nothing is real. <laughs> okay. Well, that's the first question, right? Is anything real? I have to say if that's real or not real. You have to say whether anything is real or not real. Yes. Um. It is. Well. Yeah, real. Okay. Okay. So some things are real. Let's find out what things are real. Okay. All right. Is the external world real? Um. Real. Okay. Colors, real or not real? Uh, real. Okay. <laughs> Phenomenal consciousness? Uh, real. Okay. Free will? Not real. <laughs> okay. It's a gimme on this one, but, you know, I got to for the files. Um, selves or persons? Not real. Well... Okay. You have to do selves and persons separately. <laughs> okay, you're one of those. All right. <laughs> so people want to separate them. But it's supposed to be an attempt at clarification, but apparently selves for other people. Selves not real. <laughs> okay, selves not real. Okay. Genders? Uh, real. Okay. Races? Uh, real. Species? Real. Morality? Uh, real. Rights. Uh, real. Well, I don't know. Real. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Knowledge. Real. God or gods. Not real. Society. Real. <laughs> Money. Real. Numbers. Well, huh? <laughs> uh, real. Okay. Fictional characters? Um, not real. <laughs> okay. Are you going to give me like a psychological profile after this? Like I answered in a certain way and <laughs> we, now this, you know This is being collected for research. Yes. That's, like, you, you will be do clustered. Do I say it's real if it's useful or do I say it's real if it's... <laughs> <laughs> yep. Holes, like a hole in the ground? Are holes real? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll say holes are real. Okay. Chairs? uh not real okay sandwiches <laughs> real oh you know one of those uh science real natural laws uh real beauty uh real love mm. yeah real causality real and finally time uh real i think i thought almost everything was real (laughs) you were you were very much in the realist camp which is fascinating that will we will definitely be doing a write-up on what did i say everything was real except for god and free will (laughs) And sandwiches. Or, oh, no, chairs, rather. And chairs. And chairs are not real. I'm ones. against God, free will, and chairs, and that's it. Okay. Okay. That's fair. 
Very few people, by the way. The, the the highest correlated two things is chairs and sandwiches. So you are. That's why I kind of wanted to throw you off. <laughs> okay, you just wanted to fight about it. Fair enough. But also, a chair is mm-hmm. like a chair could be so many things. Like a rock could be a chair, and then a chair <laughs> could be something else. Whereas, like a sandwich is pretty much a sandwich. <laughs> oh wow, that's the the uh, sandwich anarchists are going. A sandwich to be is like. Emails. <laughs> I'm really going to piss some people off of that one. <laughs> I'm going to get all these Twitter enemies. This, this is where you finally get canceled. Yeah. The whole point yeah. of this is to get cancel bait pretty much is the, yeah. the way we're doing this here. I sense that. No. How do you feel? Did you, did you enjoy your trip through reality lane? Oh, yeah. That was good. It was good. good. And I'm surprised oh. at how many. But, yeah, a lot of them are hard because it's like they're real depending on what you mean by real. Mm, yes right so you take a, a deflationary account of real and you get a lot yeah, of real like, things if you just say like is it a useful concept then basically everything's real but if you want mm-hmm. a higher threshold of realness <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't know what my threshold is fair enough Based, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah. well this has been a lot of fun Corey. i really appreciate you coming on and chatting do you want to let folks know where they can find your materials twitter etc Sure. Um, I have a website, CoreyJClark.com, which has links to it has links to things that will take you to everything I've ever written in my Twitter. But uh, my Twitter is I'm Hardcorey, which is I am H A R D C O R Y. That was supposed to be a play on I'm Hardcore, which also nobody gets. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> Did you get that one? No, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's when you think you're clever at age 21 or whatever um look we've all got handles that we feel guilty yeah. about <laughs> yeah, right. um yeah so my website and yeah there you can find i think it links to my research gate and i upload almost everything i write like as a free version there so you can get through the paywalls that way don't tell apa no it's great <laughs> anarchism for the win mm-hmm. <laughs> okay well thanks so much really appreciate it thanks for having me this is fun as a human, I was ill-equipped to thank you, but as myself, you have my everlasting gratitude. Thanks, as always, to our listeners and patrons who make the show possible. Thanks to our newest patrons, Bullshito, The Art of Fighting BS, Spleniotithus Infernalis, Alex Betsos, and Devin Terrio. And as always, I'd like to thank our top-tier patrons, our Archon-level patrons, Lawrence Shielding, Dude, Fix the Vote, CampQuest.org, 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 Jesse Urbinowitz and Brenda Goodman, and Chad T. And thanks as always to our Archduke-level patrons, Big Easy Blasphemy, Creepy Little Void Eyes, and Dave Maslich. If you'd like to support the show, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and a review on your podcast app. Follow us on Twitter at ETVPod. And if you notice a small void growing within you, consider supporting us financially at patreon.com slash embrace the void. Just $4 a month gets you early access to episodes and our bonus ETV reading group content. Most of all, whether you can believe it or not, you are the void and the void is you. (laughs) 